best book bits podcast brings you a philosophical yet pragmatic compassionate yet disciplined creative yet analytical driven yet laid back and happy but calm charlie gilkey author of the book start finishing and founder of the coaching and training company productive flourishing a company that helps change makers start finishing the stuff that matters charlie thanks for being on the show Thanks so much for having me, Michael. I'm excited to jam today. Awesome, me too. How'd you get involved in this field? Take us back to like 2007 when you were teaching people about meaningful action. And So um, this is a completely accidental career for me. Um, prior to starting Productive Flourishing, I was simultaneously completing my PhD in philosophy. So I'm a social philosopher and ethicist by training. And I was also an Army, United States Army Joint Force Military Logistics Coordinator, which is a mouthful, but I made sure the Army, Air Force, Navy, and our allied partners coordinated our logistics operation and when one unit picked up and dropped something off there'd be a unit another unit to pick it up and take it to the right place um and if it sounds like you know that if you think the dod or the department of defense and the armies are really well-oiled machines they are because of people like me out making sure all this happened and i came back after being deployed from operation iraqi freedom and about a year into it i realized i had a very confounding problem to me the problem was, on the one hand, I could orchestrate and move large amounts of equipment and people um, and did that really, really well um, and led people really, really well. On the other hand, 5,000 word essays were kicking my butt, right? And it seems like one would be incredibly difficult and complex to do and now this fairly straightforward and it was a mystery to me. So realizing I wasn't the only one that had this type of problem started doing all the reading of, you know, the greats, the personal development and the productivity star space. And on the one hand, the personal development space was too high level, too purpose, too values, too like, and those things are really important, but they didn't solve the problem I had. And the productivity literature was too granular, too, you know, too much about to do's and next actions and just, you know, 43 folders, all those types of things, hat tip Merlin man. Um, my problem was in this messy middle of projects. How do you get projects done, but not just all projects, but especially the projects you most wanted to get to, you know, cause there's this really big mystery that I, that I sort of worked on and I don't know that I solved it, but I addressed it in start finishing, which is why don't we do the work and the projects that matter most to us that we really want to do? Like, I know why we don't do the stuff. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. That's easy. But what is it about this stuff, this soul enriching, this sort of dream stuff that we don't get to, that we keep saying, we're going to get to it when this next thing, or like, whenever I get this thing figured out, I'm going to do that. We don't get to that. So that's what Start Finishing ends up talking about. But I started Productive Flourishing, and you know, Michael, this year we're launching Team Habits in August of 23, um, August 27, 2023, and when I started Productive Flourishing, I talked about a lot of leadership and management because that's what I was doing, but also how do you do your best creative work? How do you do your best creative work is actually what took off. And between the creative entrepreneurs, between the robust readers, like the readership that we had at the time, that's what got picked up. But the whole time I've been writing about how do you lead people well, how do you work better together, and how do you do your best work? So from 2008, a lot of my work with clients and with students and in workshops across the world have been this mixture of how do you do your best work? That's what Start Finishing is about. 
and how do you work better together, which is what team habits and a lot of my, my leadership and executive coaching work is about. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, amazing book. I've uh, I read it uh, many years back. When did the book actually come out? So the book came out on 2019, August 2019. So apparently August is when I launched books. It's a good, uh, it's a good month. And uh, Productive Flourishing, um, the website, when, when did that come out and when did the company start? So it started a little bit. So it had two worst names before Productive Flourishing. And so I got a running start, but then it all sort of evolved into Productive Flourishing in the 2007 timeframe, I believe. And there's an app out as well. Is that correct? You've got an app? Yeah. In 2021, so 2022, for years, I gotta, I'll make this story as brief as I can. Um, as I was doing the work at Productive Flourishing, what I started creating were planners that were really planners and worksheets that were really helpful for having creative people get their visions and their important projects out of their brain onto a page, into their schedules, and done. And from like 2012 until 2022, the single biggest thing people would ask us is, hey, will you make an app out of this? And I resisted it for a long time because it turns out building apps is hard. It's a completely different business than the business that we were in. Um, but finally, largely after the success of Start Finishing, um, and new readers coming in and just hearing that every day, like, hey, will you make an app for this? We decided to make an app. And so that app is called Momentum. And it's a personal productivity coach in your pocket. So it takes a lot of the best tools from start finishing from our momentum planning process and puts it into a um, software service app that you can use on your phone, tablets, web, wherever you go. And it really does help you keep the most important things top in front of mind so that you don't get... Um, bogged down by the minutia and then regret that you checked a bunch of boxes throughout the weeks, but not the one that really mattered most. Amazing stuff. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show as well, because I suffer from that, that person that's got too many ideas, turns those ideas into goals, but never turn them into projects and actually get them finished as well. So one of the things we'll deep dive into, so the book's called Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. One of the things I love what you said was converting ideas into finished projects. A lot of people, what they do, well, what I do personally, you have an idea and then you turn that idea into a micro goal, you stick it in an Excel spreadsheet or wherever it is, but you never turn that into a project. Can you tell me why that's so important and, and is that the first step in, you know, changing the idea to a project? Yeah, and, and thanks for revealing that, that you struggle with this because it makes these conversations go a lot a lot easier because you get it. Um, so let's talk about what, what most of us do. And I, I could be a victim of this too, even though I wrote the book on it and I'm well practiced in this. Like I'll be out there and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I hear it on a podcast or YouTube video or TED Talk, doesn't matter, a book. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And I immediately go to, I should do something with that. And then that's that it starts getting a little bit of that commitment juice. I haven't actually decided I'm going to do it. It's just like, oh, I should. That's a great idea. And it has this little tug and it ends up in whatever random place that it ends up in. It could be an Excel spreadsheet, Notion, Trello, doesn't matter. Um, but the big difference between taking that idea and converting it into a project is, you know, projects are bound in space and time. Ideas are not, right? Ideas, we can have an infinite, near infinite amount of them, and they don't do anything except for haunt us, right? But to, we don't do ideas, we do projects. And so really the first step is to say, okay, 
this idea, I'm going to go beyond just like, it's this thing that has this motive tug to me. And I'm going to say, okay, that's actually something I care about. And I want to realize that idea or make that idea real. And then we start doing the thing that you talked about. Like, okay, if I'm going to do this, well, when, how, where, with whom, so on and so forth. And, you know, Michael, the problem is most of us, like, imagine three weeks from now or six weeks from now. And when we think about three weeks or six weeks from now, from now we think, oh, I got all of this time in a few weeks. I got all of this open space to work on projects. But the reality is three weeks from now, six weeks from now, you have 50 to 75% of your schedule already eaten up between meetings, between meetings, between the mundanities of life, between, you know, commitments and all sorts of things that you just forgot. And so when we're doing this sort of going from idea to project thing, or when we get, when we do the thing where we get the idea, we sort of kick it to some mythic future where we have you know, like almost infinite free time, or we have time to do that. But when we look at it, Michael, most of us are perennially at capacity. We're perennially full. Um, and if we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding without finishing, then we end up creating this emotional, cognitive, and sort of spiritual debt over time. Um, because we haven't done the hard work of saying, you know what? A lot of things I am not going to do. I'm not going to get to it. And also, I got to ship some of these things that I've been sitting on in sort of that 90% stage and do the brave work of getting it out there in the world. Yeah, it, it's so funny because yesterday I was going through my goal spreadsheet and I've got one of those Excel goal spreadsheets that I, I use. And I think I had about 186 micro goals that I had to do this year. And I've had the last three months off. And when I say off, I've been home doing podcasting, had plenty of time, but filling in the time with low value activities and never actually shipping products and uh, projects and getting things done. So what I did yesterday, I moved everything and culled things. And I just said, okay, what's five things I could do this year to ship and get done that I have been consistently year after year been pushing off or just get to that next level. And they're not big things, but they're things I just have to do. And when I do that five, I can grab another five from the other pile as well. The problem is we get into a state of we want to do so much, but then we get into a state of overwhelm that we never actually finish projects. And we have all this, like, imagine a builder going from site to site to site and doing these foundations, but never actually going back and finishing. Uh, they would be out of a job really quickly as well. Um, yeah, so thank you for expanding on that. It's such a great idea as well. In the start of the book, you talk about clearing the decks for your best work as well, and that someday can be today as well. Can you advise people where to start? As I just said, I, I culled my list down to five. Where would you tell people to start and what, what's the first thing they should do? So I talk a lot about the five projects rule. It's a little bit later in the book, right? But it, it really takes the idea that you, that you just talked about and said, look, the real rule is no more than five active projects per time horizon. So I need to unpack that to make it make sense because it's, the five projects rule is a great pri prioritizing and triaging um, framework, but it also helps make sure you don't over plan. And it also makes sure that you're sort of um, thinking about the right scale and scope of an idea at a time. All right, so I'll unpack it by starting with the um, per time horizon. So by time horizon, I mean, most of us 
intuitively can know the difference between something that's going to take us 20 minutes versus two hours versus a day versus a week versus a month versus a quarter versus a year. We, we have an intuitive sort of, you know, grasp on that. Most of us are terrible at time management though, right? Like we don't know whether something's going to take us 16 minutes or 24 minutes. We don't know whether it's going to take us two days or five days. Like we're really bad when we start thinking about time. Not so much when we start thinking about space. So part of the trick here, Michael, is, and you already did it, you said for the year, that fixes the time horizon. What are the five, I would say, year-sized projects that you're going to do this year? Um, and it might not be that they're all the same so they're all the same sort of intensity, they're all the same sort of amount of work, but it's just how can you get those types of things. And in my world, a project is anything that takes time, energy, and attention. It's anything that takes time, energy, and attention. And what's important about that is so many of us don't count our life projects as projects, right? I don't know what you were doing for those three months, but I'll, I'll talk about me. Like I spent the last week um, recovering or, you know, rejuvenating from a leadership retreat that I um, hosted with my wife two weeks ago. For the whole week, like just recovering from that was a project. So that meant at most I had four more to do that week. But what we often do, Michael, is we sort of cram in a bunch of our work and career and economic goals. And then our life just sort of gets this sort of sandwich in between. Or our life blows up on us and we don't know what to do about all the work. So it's all the projects. So cleaning out that closet, getting married, getting divorced, having kids. You know, um, working on the backyard, going on that great road trip for the summer, whatever. Those all count as projects, too, for that time horizon. This is where people, Michael, will come after me. Because when you really do, when you really take it seriously, you realize you don't have as much time and capacity as you think you do, right? But what I always want to push back is, are you getting all that other stuff done or is it just load that you're carrying and that's weighing you down and making you feel bad about yourself? And if you're not going to get it done one way or the other, I'd rather us grapple with that at the beginning and make hard but compassionate choices than to continually feel like we can't get right and can't get where we're trying to go. Absolutely. And one quote that comes to me, Tony Robbins quote, and he says, you know, we overestimate what we can do. We underestimate what we can do in 10 years, but we overestimate what we can do in one year. And so many people try to cram life into one year, but life is made up of, you know, not just days, weeks, hours, minutes, seconds, but decades. And, you know, all of a sudden you're in your thirties and your late thirties, or oh, in my forties. Oh God, like things happen just, and they take you know, things take twice as long as you think they do. So if you understand that, you can push things out into the next decade, the next five years. You don't have to do everything now as well. And I think this gets back to what you talk about on getting to your best work on what you want to do right now because we can't do everything. So one of the things that you said, it's basically unpack your unpack your backpack of priorities and things that you're carrying around so that when when you were talking exactly what i said before i was carrying around dead weight on dead goals and things that i thought i have to do and i'm like you know what i really don't need to do that yes i want to do it but is it really going to move the needle forward is it something i want to do right now probably not you know saying no to others is saying yes to you so one of the biggest issues i had was saying yes to so many projects and that was a, another state of overwhelm as well 
what I was doing in that three months, I was doing a lot of podcasting, reading a lot of books as well. So it's a, a lot of me stuff, which was great, but not necessarily economic producing activities, which is which is fine as well. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, you talk and you touched on it, you talked about an air sandwich. So I'll read it. Imagine your life as if it were two slices of bread, your vision, mission, and purpose, and big goals composed the top slice of the bread. Your day-to-day reality is the bottom slice of the bread. For many people, there's a big gap in between the two, leading to an air sandwich. I'll just quickly go over. The air sandwich is filled with the five challenges that keep you from doing your best work, competing priorities, head trash, no realistic plan, too few resources, and poor team alignment. Do you want to jam on an air sandwich? I love that concept, by the way. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, So, you know, it's an air sandwich, but the air in it is illusory. Um, because we think that there's a bunch of distance between them, but the five challenges you mentioned are actually what live in there. And as I'm working with people on doing their best work, inevitably we have to start talking about those challenges. Um, my go-tos for this one, Michael, are competing priorities and head trash. Competing priorities and head trash. So um, I'll talk about head trash because competing priorities is, is pretty straightforward, but I'll loop back around to it. Head trash are just those limiting beliefs, the social stories, the story, like the things you tell yourself that, you know, what that math teacher told you in the third grade about you being terrible at math, you know, family of origin stuff. It's just that whole morass of stuff that we tell ourselves, um, that keep us from being able to commit to what matters most, to prioritize ourselves, to hold boundaries, to, you know, do all those types of things. And so, you know, most people don't cognize, they don't consciously think about all the head trash that's there, that's keeping them from making decisions, that's keeping them from like really picking themselves and going forward. But they still hear those voices internally, right? And those voices can be enough to keep them from doing their best work. So, You know, if you have, you know, the head trash that, you know, the tall poppy gets cut first, right? Which is, you know, from many places around the world, like if you shine too bright, you're the first one that gets picked off or criticized or, you know, gets in trouble, then you might be careful or cautious about doing things that have, that make you stand out and make you shine because there's trouble attached to that, right? If you have stories that people like you, whatever the you is, don't do things like that, like whatever that is, then when it comes time to start doing some of that, you got to work upstream emotionally, spiritually, you know, and cognitively just to be able to take that shot. Um, So head trash is a huge issue for a lot of people, especially women and people of color. Um, now competing priorities get, comes in there because a lot of times people don't want to actually acknowledge their real priorities. So there are plenty of parents, for instance, that love their kids and have made conscious choices around having kids and being great parents, but then feel like they're not prioritizing their work or they're not, they're not prioritizing other things that, that would otherwise matter. But I'm like, no, you're actually attending to the things that matter most to you. Like if your kids are sick for the day and they need to be home, like you're not going to get your other work done. Well, COVID has taught us that maybe, maybe not. Right. But, um, you know, we don't want to honor those true priorities or I see this with a lot of creative entrepreneurs. They'll have a priority around economic security. It's really important for them to like not be in financial, um, insecurity and not have some of those issues. But, they beat themselves up for not being entrepreneurial, right? And it's like, well, those two, like, it's part of the risk. 
So honor that true priority you have. If it's economic security, great, lean into that. Build your life and do your best work around that, but don't beat yourself up because you have this really strong um, actual priority that you're not using or that you're not allowing yourself to organize your life around. Because that's really what priorities and values do. They're organizing principles for how we spend our time, how we spend our energy, how we spend our attention. Um, the last thing that I'll talk about here as far as Air Sandwich goes, because when I say poor team alignment, people think team. I mean, yes, I know I wrote a book called Team Habits, which is around normally work team, but they just think about work and the economic sort of stuff. But they don't think about their family, their neighborhood, their friends, their community as their team. And because we're often not telling people what we truly want and who we truly are, we are in the front, we are in a frustrating position where we're not getting the support and help that we need because they don't know how to help us. Like they can't be telepaths. Um, support team alignment often happens not because people are adversarial or against you, but just because you're not doing the work of saying, this is what matters to me. This is where I'm going in my life. This is the work that I want to see in the world. Can I get some support and just expecting other people around you to figure that out on their own? So funny, we have to juggle all those five things in the in the air sandwich. I'd like to add a number six uh, to there as well, and this is something that I've been um, working with lately as well. State and energy. Like at the end of the day, if you're not in the right state to do the work, or you don't have the right energy, or you're hungover, you've been eating too much, and you're full, and you're tired, and you like if you don't have the right energy, you're not going to get your best work done as well. So it's managing state as well. I've just been experimenting with, I had 14 months off of alcohol and it was great. And then I thought, you know what, we'll we'll get back into it and we'll see how that goes as well. Turns out not that great. So one of the things I forgot was like, it takes away your energy, you feel lethargic, priorities, depression starts clicking in or just that small mental like, eh, I don't really need to do stuff. So getting into your best state and getting your body right and make sure you're accessing that energy not only helps with getting things done, but it actually just helps doing things as well. So that's my number six as well, just energy and state, just wanted to add. I would slide that into too few resources for what it's worth, but you can add a six too. So energy is a resource, but it calling things out like that that work for you are fantastic because calling it out makes it salient and making it salient makes you sort of pay attention to it more and you might get what you're trying to do on that one so yeah absolutely energy and state are incredibly important yeah and people need to experiment with doing dumb things to realize how dumb they are in their life so what I mean by that, if like if you healthy and then you start experimenting by eating unhealthy food and doing unhealthy things, you're going to see how you know that slides into your life pretty negatively and affects all areas. And then doing the opposite stuff as well. What if you exercised every day, lift weights? What if you ate really healthy, got enough sleep, you know, and then just watch your energy level? So experiment with your own you know, energy, and this is going to help you get things done and prioritize your life is where is my most energy? Is it in the morning at night? When do I prioritize, which we'll get into later as well in terms of how do you actually plan out your day as well. Another thing you mentioned, you talk about there are five keys to doing your best work, and I'll let you jump into it, which is intention, awareness, boundaries, courage, and discipline. Can you expand on the five keys to doing your best work? Yeah, so it's a mnemonic. So I, A, B, C, D, I, A, B, C, D. Intentions, awareness, boundaries, courage, and discipline. Um, intentions are really being conscious and aware of where you're trying to go and not living life on drift mode, right? And saying, here, here's what I intend. And, you know, 
you can say, here's just set goals for yourself, but I, I want it to be more broad than that. Where are you casting your gaze? Where are you aiming your energy, right? Um, awareness is just really much like you said, Michael, when you, you know, decided to get off of alcohol, it was an awareness test for you. Like what happens to me, right? What doesn't? And being aware of those changes and states and moods and energy is incredibly important, you know, and going all the way back to, you know, Socrates and the first rule being of know thyself, right? Um, every spiritual and religious tradition has some version of that, right? Self-awareness and awareness of self is just critical. Um, otherwise you just sort of run through life again on drift mode or not, not being able to change things and being stuck in that loop where you do the same thing and expect a different outcome. Um, boundaries. Um, you know, we've, I've added a lot about boundaries. I have to be briefer here, but we know how challenging boundaries can be. Most people think about boundaries as negative boundaries, meaning keeping things out. But I also want people to think about boundaries as pulling things in and like using boundaries to crowd out the good crowd out the bad stuff. So I'll come back around here in just a second with that. Um, courage and discipline. Um, I think we have far too many hyper smart sort of whiz kids that don't have enough courage and heart. The world needs more courage right now, right? We don't need more smart people. We don't need, you know, and that's, I'm one of those folks, right? Got the degrees, got all those things going on. And I realized the importance of high intelligence but when it comes to doing your best work and building the world that you want to live in, that's not just all sort of Tony, Tony Stark smarts, right? That's a lot of courage and heart and, and making those hard calls. Uh, um, I'll pause here. Most of the time when I'm doing workshops, I can say, hey, think about some project that matters to you. Think about something that's super important. Two questions. Question one, what's the smartest next move? Question two, what's the most courageous next step? When I ask that, a lot of people will pull out the, you know, pro con charts and they'll do all the sorts of things on that first question and they'll come up with a bunch of ideas. Most people immediately know what the most courageous next step is. Here's the trick, Michael. The smartest move is often the most courageous next step. Um, so, if you're listening to this listener, think about something that truly matters to you and you really want to move forward to it. What's that courageous next step that you just haven't taken yet? And what would happen if you just organize your energy and took that step? Because you know what? No matter what type of plan you try to build, no matter how much you run around, you're probably going to have to come back to that hard, <laughs> that hard thing, that courageous act anyways. So why not today? This is part of to answer your your question two ago was like, how do you start prioritizing? Well, someday, sometimes it's just saying, you know what, today I'm going to make that hard choice or I'm going to start the next courageous small thing. And it might be scheduling the meeting to have the hard conversation. Um, last one is discipline. So much in the productivity space about discipline, but I just want to say, what if discipline was just your intentions on autopilot? What if it wasn't about punishing yourself? What if it wasn't about some of those? And I think, you know, I think people shy away from discipline because we have so many um, frameworks and ideas that it's about punishing and self-abdignation when really building discipline is just like putting that glove on that helps you handle the world with grace and protect yourself and do what matters most. So um, discipline doesn't have to be like super hard capital D for it to have space. So your habits, you know, your routines, 
your you know all those types of things fall into discipline one one thing that s- struck me many years ago when back to ideas projects and goals was half of people's goals are things that they can buy so it's not really a goal it's more of a purchase so i want i want this house i want this i want that where if someone gave them 10 million dollars they could really knock off half their to-do list in in a day because they're just purchases they're not real goals as well so when you realize there's some goals or things or projects that you have to spend time and energy and there's others that is just a purchase and if they're just a purchase put them in the order of purchasing so for example if one of your goals is to create a business or to create a product and to make x y and z if you focused all your energy on that particular project and made that business successful half your other projects or goals will be completed because they're just a purchase so this is getting back to intention awareness back to boundaries i love and and courage so if you work on the most courageous thing next sometimes as an onion you can go to that next layer so if you go out of your comfort zone and stretch into courage some of the other smaller things will actually just fade away because you've elevated to the next level so for example a personal experience of mine just purchased a a a business multi-million dollar business with some business partners and just the last couple of weeks in terms of my thoughts on other things that i thought were important i realized they were actually really really small because this particular business 10x is everything else and i've dropped so many things because i've taken that courageous leap on doing something bigger and i've realized that the things that i thought were important were actually really really small and that's comes back to courage as well so sometimes we need to find out what is that courageous next step that will make the smaller things fade and disappear and realize that hey you were actually playing small because you were playing safe just wanted to rant on that a bit but i thought what you said there made made complete sense as well so sometimes goals are just a purchase and sometimes your next level of life is that stepping into those courageous decisions as well yeah I love that. I love that. I had a um, recent experience at the retreat that we were talking about, or that I mentioned earlier, where I had been telling one of the attendees, I said, look, many people don't realize how expensive working and having a normal job is, right? And when you look at your life expenses and your income expenses, what so many people are doing is because they're not satisfied with the work that they're doing, they're using economic, they're using purchases to make them happy, which means you have to work more to get those, to make those purchases, but you're not really getting what you want. What many people find, Michael, is once they start doing more of what matters to them, and maybe it's taking on an ambitious goal like you did, or maybe it's just painting or hanging out with your kids, what you find is that that purchase list, the shine on it starts to dull right it's it's not nearly as important to you and just you know there's just working on what matters and doing what matters turns out um to be better on your pocketbook too right just because you're not buying something to fill a hole which is filling somebody else's pocketbook so they might be happy with it but fundamentally you wake up the next day see the next ad buy the next thing wake up the next day, see the next ad, buy the next thing, and you're no better off, but you've spent a lot of your time, energy, and attention because you had to spend your time and attention to make that money to buy the thing. Strange, isn't it? One of my goals many years ago was to have this white Porsche 911 with custom plates, MGK85, and it was great. And then last week, I was in my business partner's white Porsche, same car, same number plate, and his was like GMK85, born in the same year. And I said to him, I said, isn't it funny how the way God works? Sometimes 
the goals you want is someone else's lifestyle, but it just shows you that you don't need to own it. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a normal car. But it's just very, very funny that um, sometimes they put a happiness into a goal or a, a particular object. And then when you become surrounded in that particular object, you realize that, you know, happiness is not in a goal or a project. And sometimes you don't need to own things to enjoy things as well. It's just a funny, it's funny how life works and, and unfolds as well and puts things in front of you. Getting back to the one of the things you talk in the book, which I love, you talk about we're actually made to slay dragons. Can you talk about slaying dragons and how for hundreds of thousands of years, using our creativity, grit, imagination, and cooperative spirit, we're actually made to do shit? We are. I mean, when you look at it, humans, we are a really frail species, right? We don't have claws. We don't have bites. We're not super strong. Um, and yet we are, for better or worse, apex predators on this planet right we are made to individually collectively do hard things that we're not equipped for right we are fundamentally not equipped for the world that that we live in and yet here we are you know talking you know halfway around the world on technology and, and all those types of things and so i think you know my main point talking about slaying dragons and if you don't want to use you know a a violent military metaphor i love that like make it work for you but my point there is we are made to do hard things and we are a resilient species. Um, I happened to start reading Sapiens when COVID started. So I wrote start finishing before COVID, right? And it, um, there's, a, there's a story there, but, um, you know, it's the perfect example of us coming together as a people and as individuals and doing something that's never been done before. We've never had a global pandemic on this scale. Um, now, the reason I say that is because when we really look at a lot of those projects that matter most we don't do them because we're scared right um but the thing about it is um we are made to do hard things and i want more people to run towards their fears right not the physically unsafe ones don't go jumping off cliffs please unless you have a parachute and hang glider then do you right but i don't want us to use fear and resistance as a um signal that maybe we're doing the wrong work maybe you're doing exactly the right thing because you know when we look at it michael like no one gets no one has a pseudo existential crisis about taking the trash out or doing the laundry or anything like that a lot of mundane stuff like we don't really care about we don't care as much right so it's not that important to us but when we look at some of the bigger choices buying a business getting married having kids going on a worldwide trip selling your home and moving wherever right those there's a lot of fears attached to those. And so I just, I want to remind people and granted, I have military experience. I have a lot of experience in my life that has just reminded me how resilient, adaptable, capable, and tenacious we humans can be. And we were built to do hard things, great things. We are also built, I have to say this, to relax and chill and to be with the people we love. Both can be true, right? Both can be true, but we're, we're made for this, man. And just to add on that as well, one thing that uh, we forget we can do, we can actually stop, drop, change, move, adapt, pivot, get help, give up, quit, try something else. Like you've got choice. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. People think that um, 
we get stuck in these loops and we can't just escape from the loop and open the door and jump into another one as well. So you've got choice and, and a lot of people don't activate that choice and they think life happens to them, but really life happens because you choose. You talk about planning your project and converting your idea into a project. Let's talk about smart goals. So someone's got an idea, they want to put it into a project. One of the things you form is talk about a book. So I want to do a book, great, but you want to complete a book on history of cappuccino by the end of 2019. That's a smart goal. So can you break down planning your project? Yeah, so a smart goal is like there's a well-worn and actually quite useful one that managers use and use in, in a lot of corporate spaces. So that one is a little bit different than the one that I'm going to share here. This one is more for personal goals and projects that really matter. So um, SMART's an acronym, so simple, meaningful, that's one of the things that's different, actionable, realistic, and trackable, right? So not necessarily, you know, time-tested. So really where I want to dial in is on that meaningful um, bit and the simple bit, because I think we choose complex projects that aren't really meaningful for us and then wonder why they don't go forward on us. Um, I'm making an equivocation here. Usually when I say goal and project, I'll sort of smush them two together because an idea is a, a project is an idea with a goal attached to it, right? And so they, you can't have one without the other in a lot of ways. Um, so what it all, what it does is help us, again, go from that ethereal idea of, I want to write a book. Well, what kind of book? When? How long is it going to take? Like, do you have the resources? Going back to no realistic plan. Um, so usually what I'll say here is if you have, um, I'm sort of jump ahead in the book, there's a, there's a super trick here, right? If you really want to make a shorthand to make a smart goal is to use a verb noun construct, a verb noun construct. So you take the noun book and you put a verb in front of it, right? Um, right book. It's the suit. It's the smallest atomic sort of goal you can have. But when you look at, and I know that sounds obvious, but when you look at a lot of people's to-do list, if you've done this long enough, you'll just see a bunch of nouns, book, trip, right? Um, home, right? You'll just see a, a, just a list of nouns with no verbs in front of them, right? And the verbs do so much work for you. In the book, I list the different, the 37 different verbs that tell you what size the project is. Cause it turns out, in the English language, we have certain words that sort of hint at how large that project might be, right? Um, so like, call Michael, we know that's a task, right? It's not going to take me forever, right? Publish, you know, it depends on, but like publish book, you're talking some time, right? And just that word alone can tell you a lot about the time, or the trackable, the, real, the um, reality of it, the actionable, and so on and so forth. So the simplest thing you can do, if you take nothing from this when it comes to setting smarter goals, use a verb noun contrast and a verb noun construct. Get it, get nouns out of your to-do list. Get nouns out of Asana because, like, if you just look at that, you know, and you're like the noun being best book bits. Is that grow best book books? Am I going to be on vet books? Like, what is this, right? And we have to remember. When you set goals today, someone else is going to look at that goal in the future. And it could be a teammate, but it might also be a future version of you that has no idea what the hell you were talking about three months ago, right? So if you just have that noun there, that version of you has to go back and be like, what was that? Did I do the thing? Did I not do the thing? And then you spend so much time just trying to figure out what the idea and the action step was where you could just be leaving yourself better breadcrumbs so that you can pick up that idea like, oh, you know, be on the best book bits, you know, podcast. Okay, I know what I need to do at least, right? And you reach out to Michael about that. 
verb noun construct will save so much of your sanity because it tells you what you need to do to what. I'm going to expand on that because that was my next question, which thank you for answering that. So I'll go through it. So task verbs. So work, you can be done in 15 minutes. So email, call, sort, read, send, check, review, find, compile, schedule, make, text, print. Love it. And it's it's funny, those words that they do they do mean like short time, like it's something that can be done within 15 minutes. And then number two, so weak size project verbs. So research, need to decide on, collaborate with, create, plan, design, analyze and evaluate, coordinate, promote, edit and apply, weeks. And then the number one quarter or month size projects. So with the verbs, rework, develop, strategize, launch, ship, build, publish, kick off, move and reallocate. After this call, I'm going to go through my goal list and I'm going to add the verb non-constructs to my goals because that makes complete sense as well. Thank you for sharing. That, that was really cool. Mastering quarter-sized projects is the secret source of doing your best work. Why is that? So mastering quarter-sized projects is the secret source. Why? Yeah, so something I didn't mention earlier, but now it's the time to do it. So when you look at what, what I call your best work projects, right? Your best work projects, those things are really going to push the needle forward in your life, business, or world. They typically take about five years, right? I'm, I'm borrowing a little bit of this from Stuart Brand. It's also a little bit of Bill Gates and, you know, Tony Robbins as far as what we can do in the decade. But it's going to take you five real years for just that segment. So, Michael, you in this, you in this business, depending upon what stage it is, it's five years of your life, right, in just this phase of it. And it might be in your pre-scale. It might be in a pre-sale. And going back to what you said earlier about people making decisions and thinking that they're stuck with them forever, here's the grace of it. In five years, win, lose, or draw, you're going to be doing something different anyways, right? You're not going to be stuck forever with a project, right? So um, what you can do is take your age, subtract it from 85, divide by five. That's about the number of best work projects that you have remaining in your life. A lot of people are like, oh, I did not need to hear that today, Charlie, but there you go. Um, so quarter size projects, why they're so important is because when you look at some of those, like, especially some of the verbs that you mentioned, so on and so forth, those are those projects that require a level of focus, tenacity, um, support, stick to itness and acumen to see through. And this is really the quarter size projects are what make the difference between people who seem like they're just getting by. And people like you see them, you know, you go to the, the annual conference and they're like, I'm going to do a thing. And you've learned to trust them. And then next year they come back and they're like, I did four or five things. Well, they've mastered those quarter size projects. Um, so a month, well, a week flies by faster than, faster than most of us realize it. And a month does too, right? But a quarter, again, um, when you look at significant projects, let's just take write, writing a book, um, you know, you could write a part of a book. Let's call it like, you know, you're still in a three-part book. You typically write one of those in a quarter unless you're James Patterson, and that's a whole other conversation, right? Um, when you look at, you know, the business work that you're doing, it's going to take about a quarter for you to make a, take a strategic initiative and move forward anywhere with it. What most people do is um, commit to quarter size or year-long goals, but stop doing the work to push those go forward about three weeks in and then wonder why they're not um, really, you know, getting progress. And so this is where, you know, um, as we start talking about it, 
whenever it's a lifestyle change sort of scenario, like stopping drinking alcohol is actually a lifestyle change, right? You'll, <laughs> you don't believe me? Try it, right? You'll see how much around your life sort of changes. Losing that 25 pounds that you need to from COVID, it's a lifestyle change, right? It's going to take you multiple quarters of habit change, mindset change, stick to itness for that goal to realize. So I, when I work with people a lot, a lot, I have them focus on quarter to quarter to quarter sort of sequencing and building because it helps them get real about the amount of time, energy, and attention it's going to take and about what sequence of projects is most likely going to get them to the goal that they're trying to get to. Thanks for expanding on that. Another one you talk about is the, the five project rule and the weekly perspective is the longest level of perspective that people feel comfortable shaping and planning at the weekly perspective there's four basic blocks that we can build into our days so the focus blocks you know the 90 to 120 minutes of time when we're especially creative inspired able to high level work we talk about social blocks admin blocks and recovery blocks as well i want to jam a little bit about these weekly blocks and how important they are to structure our, our week around yeah, so those four time blocks that we talked about, like you might have tried different versions of time boxing, time boxing, but they work really, really well for really important projects because I'll talk about the two bookends that people don't think about, the focus blocks and the recovery blocks. So as you mentioned, Michael, focus blocks are the 90 to 120 minute blocks of time that you use focusing on a particular project. Most of us think cerebral projects or economic projects like writing a blog post or something like that, but it could also be cleaning out that closet that you've just for years crammed stuff into. The reason you haven't gotten it finished is because you've actually created, you know, a, you know, probably three to six focus block project for yourself to pull all that stuff out, figure out what needs to go where, so on and so forth. So it's not just braining work. It's just the amount of time it takes to get into something, make some progress on it and get out of it. Um, so usually what we can do is use the three focus blocks per project per week rule as a, just a general guideline of, of expectation so that you know, like if you have less than three focus blocks per week per project, you're probably not going to get as far on that project as you would like. And here's why. If you have one focus block, well, if you have none, you're just not spending time. You're not investing in the project. But if you have one focus block a week, you'll spend about a third of the focus block, just figuring out what you were doing last week and remembering it, <laughs> you'll do a little bit of work and scoot it forward just a little bit, just in time for you to stop and then be demoralized to have to do it again next week. But if you only have one focus block, please use it well. Three gives you a good cadence and rhythm and it makes you do some of the prioritization in your life to make that project come to life, right? To just make some of those hard choices. Focus blocks, really, really important. On the back side of that is recovery blocks. And Michael, when I first started doing this work, I just assumed people were scheduling recovery blocks into their schedule. Like you work for a few hours, you rest for a little bit. You work for the morning, you have lunch. Maybe you do something in the evening. What I learned from doing the coaching, people do not schedule recovery blocks into their week. Um, and much to your point, earlier about energy and state recovery blocks are what help you maintain that good energy in that good state. So if you're depleted and you're overwhelmed and you're rushing all over the place, you're not going to do your best work. You know it. I know it. Michael knows it. Recovery blocks 
are those blocks of time that you use to recharge yourself. And of all the time blocks, that's the one that is the least time specific. Because look, you might be one of those people that just need to jump on a trampoline for 15 minutes and it like builds your energy up. Or maybe you need to take a nap. Or maybe you need to, you know, play guitar or chase your kids around the house, whatever it is. And the important thing about recovery blocks is it doesn't matter what it is. It's what it does for you. So I have some friends that CrossFit, it's their recovery block. They go and just do the thing, feel recharged and excited and get all their energy back. It's not a focus or it's not a recovery block for me. It's a focus block for me. I got to show up with some energy for that and focus and get it done. Whereas reading is a recovery block for me. It can be. It can be. Sometimes it's a focus block. It can be a recovery block, but those same folks with CrossFit, it's like a whole thing for them to sit down and read for that amount of time. So it's very bio-individual. Um, again, doesn't matter what it is. matters what it does for you. And people resist recovery blocks. I'll, I'll, I'll hang out here just a second if I can. They resist recovery blocks because of all the other four blocks, or excuse me, of all the other three blocks, recovery blocks actually require you to prioritize yourself more than any of the other ones do. It requires you to have that boundary. It requires you to have that discipline. It requires you to have that courage to put yourself and your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs first. And that's part of the reason people aren't doing them is because it requires that. Yeah, you would think that would just be a, a natural part of uh, life, like sleeping. You know, life is made up of maintenance. I had this conversation with a friend the other day. I said, you know, most, most of our life is just maintenance from waking up, showering, doing all that stuff as well. But, you know, in between the maintenance, this is where the focus blocks come in, you know, the social blocks come in as well. So really, really good uh, putting that out there as well. And one of the other things you talk about is build projects from GATES. So GATES is an acronym for genius, uh, affinities, talents, expertise, and strengths as well. Why is it important to build projects from GATES? Well, what many people will do is get an idea going back to what we talked about. It's like, ooh, an idea. I should do that. And then we'll pick some random way to get that done. Or maybe they'll pick somebody else's way to get it done and end up on hard mode because they're not using their natural strengths. They're not using their natural sort of um, secret sauce to get it done. So what I encourage people to do is like, think about it this way. So you have the goal over here. You have the goal or the intention, and then you have your gates and you list your gates first. Right. Um, so your genius, affinity, affinities, talents, expertise, and strengths. I know a lot of acronyms today, y'all, but Michael just happened to pick the ones out of the book. Um, and then use your gates to determine the methods, the tactics, and the strategies to achieve those goals. So I'm a writer. I love writing. If I don't write enough, um, it gets bad. So it's just one of those things I got to do. Right. If, I try to do something that doesn't require, or excuse me, so it makes sense for me when I'm trying to use a goal to be like, huh, how could I leverage that gate that I have, one of those gates that I have to get this done? Can I write the sales proposal? Can I, can I do some of those pieces? As you can also tell, Michael, I'm also a talker, right? So if I can get in front of people and have a conversation with them, so on and so forth, then those are really good ways for me to get things done. Um, I'm not a runner like a physical runner, I hate running, right? So if there was a goal that required a lot of running, it's going to be hard mode for me, right? It really is. I'm not sprinting, maybe, but long distance running, not built for it, 
right? And so I give those sort of counter counter examples um, or contrasting examples. The thing about it is when it comes to your gates, a lot of us have some that maybe we don't acknowledge or value because they don't seem to be strictly economic gates. Like maybe our gate, one of our gates is curating music for people. Like you're just that person that can make that killer playlist. Okay, so why is that important? Like what could you do with that? Well, it depends, right? If you're leading a team and there's a really stressful event going on and maybe you got a launch going on in the background, maybe deploying deploying that particular thing can help motivate the team and rally the team and keep them on point. Again, when you really take an inventory of your gates, some are going to be obvious. Some are going to be like, what the hell do I do with that? But if you're really creative, you might find ways to sprinkle them in. And what you'll find is one, your projects will get done faster. Two, you'll probably have more fun. And three, they'll have that um, fingerprint. They'll have your unique fingerprint on how it got done that will make it um, unique, that will make it identifiably you and make it remarkable just because it does have that fingerprint on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like what you, the last thing you said. You're like some things only you can do and, you know, delegating, great, but don't delegate the things that are unique to you. Delegate the things that are just sort of bland and a bit sort of ordinary as well. A couple of last things before we wrap up the podcast. Uh, you talk about keep flying by accounting for drag points. What, what are drag points? Yeah, so um, when aeronautic engineers um, create planes, and, and sort of design planes, they don't pretend as if drag doesn't exist. Drag just being the force of, you know, the atmosphere pushing against the inertia of the plane, or you know what I mean. Um, they account for it. They're like, look, drag is going to exist. The faster this plane goes, the more we're going to have to do. How can we use drag to lift? Like they build drag into the very process of designing a plane. A lot of us, though, when we um, are designing our projects, we sort of think about them in sort of that Newtonian sort of um, Newtonian physics way. Like in the ideal world, the frictionless plane just means it's going to do it, do this. But the real world is not a frictionless plane. It is a plane that, you know, if you have struggles with time management, you know what? You're gonna, it's going to show up in your project. If you have struggles with delegation or believe in yourself, whatever it is, it is going to show up in your project. Now, Somehow in the whole self-help world, we get into this idea that if we say we have a challenge with a thing, that somehow we give more weight to the thing. Like we, maybe if we just don't talk about it, it's going to go away. No, it's not going to go away, right? It is always going to be there. So um, w when I help people create plans, I'm like, look, let's just go ahead and acknowledge that maybe you're not great at time management. Maybe you're not great at planning. Maybe you're not great at making hard decisions. Cool, 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 cool. What support system or what alternative strategies can we have, um, or excuse me, what strategies can we have to sort of overcome that rather than pretending that it's not going to be there? So if it's not, if you're like, if you struggle with making hard decisions, maybe you need a coach or maybe you just need one of those buddies around you that's really good at that. And you make them a part of your success pack. So whenever you come up with that hard decision, you're like, hey, I'm struggling with it. And let's pretend Michael's my hard decision buddy. I go, hey, Michael got a hard decision. Michael knows immediately what his job is to do, right? Is to help me with this hard decision. And because you build up a strategy for overcoming it and you don't let it trip you up, 
it doesn't become that crippling challenge that keeps you from doing your best work. So y'all, if you have a challenge, if you have a struggle, naming it does not make it any stronger, right? Gravity exists whether or not we say gravity exists or not. That's the root and that's, that's the point. But acknowledging that it exists, getting the support you need, um, really running towards that dragon helps you overcome it and do what matters most. Yeah, absolutely. Just a segue, right? So sometimes people are afraid to jump on the scales because they don't want to know what they weigh because they know they put on a little bit of weight. But the, the point of jumping on the scales is a drag point to realize where you're at. And I jumped on the scales the other day and I, I think I put on a bit of weight and I was like, geez, okay, time to get into gear. We need to add these scales into our life to measure where we're at according to our goals and projects as well. So drag points aren't a, a scary thing. They're actually a reality of, of where you're at as well. Just because we're running over time, I'll skip the other ones, which we're going to talk on working your plan. So weave your project into your schedule. We understand that, you know, you've got to actually make time, you know, the planning, daily planning, weekly planning, monthly planning, quarterly planning, annually planning, how important this is as well. Building momentum of creating the small wins on, on progress as well that enables us to create, celebrate big finishes. But the title of the book, I want to talk about finish strong. So finishing the best work to unlock new realities. How important is it to cat, clean up, archive and trash to make time for the next project easier? So can you just jam on that a little bit, finishing strong on a project? It's kind of like, what's it called when you, when you do sort of that gravity well loop in science fiction where you like go around the sun and you come back faster, right? The um, It'll come to me in a minute, but cat work, cleanup, archive, and trash work is just that work that clears the decks from the last project that you did and sets you up for success for the next one. Because how many times have you like finished last minute, you got it out the door, and then there's some new thing that you got to do, but you're sort of fighting with the detritus of the last project, and maybe you lost a thing. In fact, that happened today, Michael. Like, I'm um, the one of the adapters that I have for my audio interface was still in my bag because we haven't done the cleanup archive and trash work for coming back from um, our trip over the last week. And so I was a few minutes late because I haven't done, I didn't do the cat work between projects. Now we're also not trying to do it all at once. Um, cleaning up, starting fresh so that you're not fighting against the past, archiving that stuff so that it's not sitting on your brain. And then trashing and it's just giving yourself permission to let go of stuff that needs to be let go of and not just continuing to pile things up. Now, most people think of the physical stuff like, you know, you got books, you've got papers, you got all that kind of whatnot. You can think of digital stuff as well. I've been talking more, Michael, about the cleanup, archive and trash of the emotional work that you need to do, too. So all of the sort of stories that you told yourself and all the sort of anxieties about the last project, like what would it be like if you could just say, you know what, that was part of the last project. I don't need to carry that forward with me, right? Archiving it could be really taking time to sit in the gratitude and sit in this sort of celebration that you did something important and sort of archiving that and really building that into it. And trashing is just letting go of some of the stuff, right? Like I, I screwed up again or I didn't plan again. Well, okay, right? There are different things you can do to process that. So it's at all levels of your being. How can you clean up archive and trash? And really when you complete a best work project, no matter what it is for you, there's like a project shaped hole in you because it's been an organizing principle for a year or two. 
So, you know, we don't talk enough in the realm that we're in of productivity about post-accomplishment depression. So I'm going to take a minute to talk about it, right? Olympic athletes, authors, musicians, high-performing entrepreneurs, once you complete a thing and you have that thing, there's often a real or mini depression that follows that. And partially it's because you lose that anchor to the world that you had for a while, right? You don't really know what you do with yourself. Like, um... Um, parents who have kids who have left the nest also have a version of that too. Like, what do you do? You've spent 18 years or 22 or however long really helping these kids become adults and get out the door. There's a piece of you gone and you don't know what to do with it. So the time in between, you know, the, the, the real finishing of a project is creating that space for you to adjust to the project being gone to the world that's changed so that you can move forward into the next one with better insights because you've done your attack and review a better sense of confidence because you've really ingrained that and just the clarity of what matters most next. Um, we typically, and when I'm working with clients on this and they fight me tooth and nail, but I'm like, look, we need a week or two. Like if you've been really working on a project for six months or a year, you need a week or two just of cat time of celebrating to run a victory lap to, you know, catch up with all the people that you put off while you're finishing this thing up and reorient to yourself before you just jump into the next thing. Very, very important to take a moment to celebrate the victories as well before you jump on to the next victory as well. That's why in sports they have seasons and that's why they have a break as well. Wrapping up, so amazing book, just talking about your next one, Team Habits. Uh, what's it about and when, when's that coming out? So Team Habits comes out in August, um, August 27, 2023. And what Team Habits talks about is really how to work better together. And instead of work better together as a team, instead of trying to change people and really going the high like vision value sort of perspective, what it does is does something far more mundane, but far more powerful. And it helps, it, it guides you to focus on your team's habits of, and the ways that you work together. So your habits around meetings your habits around communication, your habits around collaboration and goal setting, your habits around belonging, your habits around personal effectiveness and how you do that as a team. So it just really focuses on that. We know the power of habits when it comes to our personal effectiveness. It's just taking that concept and applying it to teams. And so um, people are loving it. I'm so glad it's so well received thus far, but um, I'm really hoping that the team habits approach is going to help Help us get out of the personnel conflict that can sometimes happen and the, you know, bosses versus, you know, workers and all that sort of jazz and step back and say, you know what, look, at the end of the day, we all believe in each other. Most days we like each other. Most days we want to do this work together. Let's get better by focusing on our habits to get our, on our team habits and get a line behind that and maybe not about you know what any 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 individual is doing or not doing yeah yeah awesome stuff charlie thank you for being a guest on the best book biz podcast where can people uh find you uh what's the website and, and where do you hang out socially as well all right michael thanks so much for having me um all roads lead back to productiveflourishing.com so you can learn more about start finishing or team habits um if you happen to be on linkedin you can find me there via productive flourishing or charlie gilkey just look it up i'm on linkedin and depending upon where it goes i might be back on twitter sometime in the next quarter or two and you can find me there at charlie gilkey
Awesome. Thanks for being a great guest. And yeah, to my audience, go out there, check out uh, Charlie's stuff, the website and the books as well. Some really fantastic stuff as well. Enjoy the rest of your day. And um, yeah, thanks for being a guest as well. And we'll speak soon. Okay. Thanks for having me, Michael.